Hi, and welcome to Bootstrap, The Lighter Side, where entrepreneurs who have grown successful startups from the ground up share their inspiring stories. In each episode, you'll hear from accomplished founders about starting a business, managing a runway, and raising capital on their terms. I am Melissa Widner, the CEO of Lighter Capital, a leader in founder-friendly, non-dilutive funding. Visit lightercapital.com to learn more. On today's show, I'm excited to speak with Alex Yee, who is the co-founder and CEO of Nibble, a lighter capital portfolio company. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for having me. We will start off with you. Just tell us what Nibble does. So essentially what Nibble does is that we help credit invisible Canadians build and access credit with a zero interest credit line. So how it works, anybody can come onto our web or mobile app, connect their bank accounts, and essentially within 60 seconds gets approved. And then as they build their payment history, then we'll help report to the credit bureau so then they can gradually improve their credit score. And I'd love to just talk about, you know, I guess the origin of our product and the challenges that we faced just in terms of coming up with a product. So, you know, for me personally, I come from an immigrant family. Uh, my family first immigrated to Canada from China. And when we first immigrated, you know, my, my mom, she didn't have access to any sort of credit. Um, and so because of that, we wanted to purchase a property. She had good income, good savings, but she wasn't able to get a mortgage. And this was back in 2006, 2008 in Alberta. And there was an oil boom at the time. And unfortunately, um, because of that, she had to go on a secure card to build her credit. So that's kind of when you get a, a secure credit card from a bank, you deposit a certain amount of money, uh, let's say $500, and then you pay an admin fee, and then you pay an interest based on you know your own deposit. <laughs> and then over the, and then by using that card, then you get your credit reported. And eventually, as you build up your score, then you can access the actual credit card. And so that process essentially set us back by a lot. I mean, two years later, you know, housing prices have skyrocketed, uh, increased by 100%. <laughs> and then when we actually purchased property, we paid a lot more. So this is a problem that I guess that we we hold very, I guess, dear uh, to our hearts, both my myself and my co-founder Han. Han is also coming from a immigrant family to, to Canada. And uh, essentially, we are really trying to tackle the problem of credit invisibility in Canada. Just to clarify, it's specifically for Canadians. This isn't on offer in other countries at this point. Yeah, at the moment, we're we're purely focused on Canada. And there's a few reasons for that. So, you know, there's a lot of fintechs in the U.S. helping people build credit uh, by being a more accessible on-ramp to a credit system. But in Canada, there's very, very, very few options. We have a very high level of immigration. So every year we get about you know, 400,000 of new immigrants, newcomers to Canada. We have all, about a million of new to credit consumers. There's a lot of people looking to rebuild credit and there just isn't very many options. And a lot of the reason is just because credit reporting infrastructure is a bit different. There's not as many fintechs trying to solve this problem. And so for most people, the way that they build their credit is um, 70% of people first get onto the credit system using a credit card. But of course, if you can't get approved for a credit card, then it's very difficult for you to get on. Maybe to put some numbers on paper, you know, about 35% of Canadians have less than three trades on their credit report. The same comparable in the US, it's about 18%. So we have a much, it's a much larger problem here in Canada as compared to the US. And that's kind of why. Decided to to focus on Canada to start. 
Okay, well, lots of people um, ex have a pain point and come across something that they, you know, think a problem that needs to be solved, but very few of them act on it by starting a company. So what was the impetus for you to, to actually do one of the hardest things somebody can do and, and, and become an entrepreneur? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with, with the environment I, I grew up. So I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. My father was an entrepreneur back in China. Um, my uncles were entrepreneurs. So I kind of always caught, had the entrepreneurial, I guess, bug inside of me. <laughs> and then ultimately, having grown up in Canada, um, having done graduate school, eventually I went to work for a private equity firm here based in Canada. And really through that experience, I, I had the opportunity to work with you know a lot of entrepreneurs who really built, who often come from very humble beginnings to very large businesses in Canada. And kind of through that experience of having worked with, with, with these entrepreneurs, I, I kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug again and thought, <laughs> and you know what, I have to, you know, leave my position and, and try to start something else of my own. And especially the problem that we're solving right now, it's specifically very, I guess, it's something that I care deeply about. And uh, so we thought, uh, given my financial services ex expertise, as well as a problem that we face personally, you thought it would be a good problem to, to tackle to start. So day one, are you working on this while you have your day job? Or do you quit your job at the private equity firm, which I imagine was a pretty good job with a, a good paycheck and, and take your savings to start this company? How, how did you get it going? We kind of understood the problem we wanted to solve. We understood the area of the market we wanted to tackle, but we didn't necessarily know exactly what the product was. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's 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 from a financial perspective, it's definitely you know taking a leap of faith. Um, but but it's for myself personally, the good thing is I you know I had saved up some personal savings, so I was able to put that towards the business. Um, so that definitely helped a lot in terms of alleviating alleviating some of the financial pressures with starting a startup. And I guess. From my perspective, I had always worked with entrepreneurs who were bootstrapped to start. So instead of we work, I guess, raising a lot of VC funding, um, you know, I, I've seen entrepreneurs who who took a mortgage on their life insurance, <laughs> uh, uh, took a second mortgage on their house. Um, and I think that's a bit of a different way to, to approach it. With that being said, you know, I've seen a lot of these successful entrepreneurs go down that route. And I kind of followed that path to start. Eventually, we did end up raising some some venture funding, as well as, of course, getting funding from Lighter Capital, which also really accelerated our growth. Um, but that's how we got started. Okay, so you bootstrapped initially, and at what point did you go out and get external funding, venture, and then Lighter? Yeah, so we bootstrapped initially, and initially we were just trying to figure out how to solve the problem. So we, it was a lot of, you know, through trial and error, a lot of iterations that we came up with our current product. Um, for example, we wanted to help people build credit, but when we first went to the credit barrel, they said, oh, by the way, you actually need, you know, thousands of trades to even start. And of course, if we created a traditional financial product, one, it would be very it will, we, will, we will need a lot of capital to get started. And two, it wasn't necessarily the type of product we wanted to create such that it's financially responsible for our users. 
And so through a lot of iterations that we came up with our small ticket credit line. Um, so we built our MVP really that was like a web form. <laughs> I think it's the genesis of a lot of stars. Um, you know, people sit in a room, throw up a landing page within the weekend and then uh, see if people want it. That's kind of what we did to get started. And then when, once we did build the V1 of the product and we actually had users using the product, that's when we kind of decided, okay, maybe now it's time to, to get some you know, outside help, not just in terms of funding, but also in terms of you know, advice and um, how to go about scaling or starting or iterating on, on early product ideas. And it was great for us because I guess you know, the Canadian funding ecosystem is very different from the US. I would say overall, there's far less capital to go around um, for a variety of reasons. So having the visibility um, at Techstars New York as a Canadian company that really helped and opened up a new base of investors for us. So they were the first one in, and then we then raised money from other investors as well, both across, on both sides of the border, so both in Canada as well as the U.S. And those were connections through Techstars, or were some of that connections that you had from your private equity days? Because a lot of our a lot of our listeners want to know, okay, when you know, if if where do I go to find investors? You know, we know that cold emailing VCs doesn't work. Yeah, we we've actually also tried that in the beginning. <laughs> it definitely wasn't uh, great in terms of conversion rates, um, and I can totally understand why. Um, I, so when we did first did our pre seed round, a lot of the funding were from. So we did cold emails as well as warm intros, but a lot of the funding did come from warm intros of you know just people within my my previous network, maybe you know. It was a colleague with a Paul colleague might not have wanted to invest personally, but through a connection and a connection of a connection, an intro to intro to intro <laughs> that we were yeah. able to get, get introduced to the right people to the right people. Um, and then of course the Techstars ecosystem is always helpful. A lot of the times Techstars it, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing in terms of the network that they have access to, both in terms of investors, other founders, um, and that also kind of helped us as well in, in getting some investors in the door. And at what point did you know that, okay, the dogs are going to eat the dog food? We we had an idea in mind, but we weren't sure, you know, how to deliver the product and, and, and if people wanted it. The moment where it really clicked for us was, I guess, when we first got our, our few customers, <laughs> we, were, we were trying to gauge, okay, well, how many people landed on our website? And then out of the, how, the number of people who landed on our website, how many people actually wanted to sign up and actually use a product? The moment when we saw what our conversion number was, when we realized 30% of people were signing up for the website, at that, at that moment, we realized, okay, <laughs> there's probably something there. Uh, of course, the product itself was still in its infancy. Not all of the features were fully fleshed out, but just kind of getting that you know top line interest to understand that you know that's the, some it's a problem that real people uh, faces and the product that people wants that really gave us a lot of conviction to continue building and continue to round out the product. Okay, and while we're on the funding topic, at what point did you decide to go uh, for non-dilutive funding and 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 work with lighter capital? Yeah, so we never actually raised too much. Even though we did raise venture funding, we didn't raise a lot. As a matter of fact, we actually turned a few checks down. Um, <laughs> and I guess a lot of it has to do with my previous experiences 
um, I guess in private equity, I had always worked with entrepreneurs who, who, you know, really set out to build sustainable businesses with positive cash flow. And because of that, they, they were able to access that capital and they never necessarily needed to raise a whole lot of equity to grow. And so because of that, they were able to retain a very large percentage of, of their business. And I took a lot of inspiration from that. Um, so for us, you know, we were actually super early when when we first approached Lighter Capital, uh, as you know, Melissa. So we, we were early. We didn't have too much revenue yet. Um, I think we might have been at 20,000 months at the time. So it was, it, was, it was minimal, but we were starting to see some really good early traction. And I, I think, you know, we really appreciate the fact that Lighter was really the first one to kind of <laughs> give, us that, give us that opportunity. And, um, and you know, at, at, as, as we're sitting down speaking today, we've nearly tripled our subscription revenue. So we've grown quite a, quite a bit since then. And we love to see that. And we've done, I think now it's over 1,100 rounds of financing. It's such a privilege to be on the entrepreneur's journey because we have these stories. In fact, uh, some of the entrepreneurs who raised money from us and never never took any dilution or never gave away equity in their company, or um, a few of them are now investors in Lighter because they went on to have good exits and they owned all their company when they had an exit. So it's it's just great to see the success that you're having, Alex. Let's talk a little bit about, we, we talked about your origin story, but but what motivates you on a day-to-day basis? Because running a company is a tough gig. So how do you how do you keep yourself motivated? There's a few pieces to it. I think for me personally, um, the problem we're solving is something that we care deeply about. That's number one. But number two, really, it's 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 about you know having a sense of fulfillment in terms of achieving something. So we you know we, we do feel like we're on a mission. We we're, we're trying to get from A to B, and uh, there's there, that's a goal that we have in mind to serve a certain number of Canadians, <laughs> and and I guess new new to new to Canada consumers. It's it's things like that that really drives me. And I think um, I wake up every day. Also being very grateful for, for the team that we have on board. We actually started this journey being super lean, which is my co-founder, uh, Han, and myself. So we were actually just the two of us for, I would say, the first 10 months of the journey of last year. But as our team has expanded, we realized how much help we've been getting from, from the team and how much of a blessing it is to have our new team join us. And um, yeah, and just to be able to be uh, work with great people that really uh, makes makes both of our days as well. And let's talk a little bit about having a co-founder. There's a venture capital firm in Australia, Blackbird, and I think that they, I don't know if they will only do this, but they, I think, you know, their preference is to fund companies that have co-founders. They think that companies with co-founders are going to be better than solo founders. So was that something, did the two of you come up with the idea together? Is that why you have a co-founder or did you have the idea and set out to go find a co-founder? Yeah, we definitely, it was was through a mutual introduction that we kind of got together. We always had a deep passion for financial services. So my background was in financial services, private equity, his background was at Shopify banking, also more so on the fintech side. So we were always kind of, I guess, fintech nerds of sorts. <laughs> um, so we clicked very quickly. And uh, so we, we we got together really working on this in a pretty unison form. But I, I can definitely see why 
you know, a lot of VC firms such as Blackbird who will prefer a, a co-founder as to as opposed to a solo founder. I mean, just from a psychological perspective and just, just I guess, taking a step back for a second, starting a startup is very hard. <laughs> um, it's very different from working in a corporate environment. So in the corporate environment, you kind of have your structure set out for you. The business model is developed. There is some sense of structure. And if you work hard, you could you could make a lot of contributions. But in a startup, it's very different. You could totally work, spend a large amount of time trying to solve something and then get nowhere. And at that point, you will have to take a step back, you know, and think about how the way you're approaching things, potentially pivot and find another way to solve the problem. It's in those moments that I think it's really helpful to have a co-founder because one, you can kind of talk through the challenges you're facing as a team, um, you know, brainstorm for ways to, to, to solve that problem. But also just in terms of, you know, if you're by yourself, I think it's it's much easier to want to give up when you run into a, a problem. But when you have two people, it's, it's much better in the sense that, you know, we always keep each other accountable and that keeps us going. <laughs> yeah, it is much easier when you're in tough times to be there with a partner, that's for sure. I know you're a relatively new company and uh, it's, it's amazing the growth that you've had in such a short time. Um, looking back, is there anything you, you would have done differently or is it too early for you to have those, those types of, we should have done this differently? Like many first time founders, we were very quick to jump to the gun to start building instead of validating the, the idea first with customers. <laughs> so, so we made a lot of mistakes on that end. Um, and um, kind of learned the hard way that, you know, speaking to customers is, is very important. But yeah, something like that, from a product perspective, we learned the hard way, um, you know, fundraising. <laughs> also, a lot of lessons to be learned there as well, just in terms about, you know, how to position our startup, what our, I guess, revenue model should be. For example, we initially set out building our product. We saw our product was always kind of on an optional fee type of model. So it's like, and the revenue quality for that business model wasn't necessarily the best. Um, and then when, once we switched to a subscription-based model, we realized, okay, well, our customers are happy. There's predictability. Uh, they actually trust, trust the platform a little bit more on a subscription-based model, but also it's far easier for us to get funding just because we have more predictable revenue stream, you know, both for, I guess, equity investors as well as debt investors. Yeah, absolutely. As you think about growing your business, because you, you, you've had great growth, um, are you thinking that you will eventually have to do that big venture round and give away some equity or some more equity and give away control? Or are you hoping to, are you planning to keep growing it in a non-dilutive way? Yeah, yeah. Um, th that's a really good question. We're not anti-dilution by by any means. Um, and um, I think for us, it's really just about the right moment in time. For us, in our perspective, or the early days, it, was, it wasn't that helpful to raise a lot of funding when we're trying to fund product market fit. But now as we're reaching a, a stage where we have, you know, early indications of product market fit, and now we're looking to scale our business. Now, I think, it might be a much better time to potentially raise venture funding. But that being said, it's always helpful to have that capital to go alongside that. Um, of course, you know, from my perspective as a former finance guy, you know, the cost of capital for 
for for debt is always going to be lower than the cost of debt uh, capital for equity. So we will always try to line up the 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 debt gross capital first before going to equity. But in reality, I think it would be great to just have a mix, right? So have a good equity base as well as kind of have that the debt gross capital as well to just uh, just to have a longer runway and more capital for growth. Absolutely. Well said. Um, and where do you go for learnings? Are you a podcast person, a book person? Are you, you know, out there chatting to a lot of other other entrepreneurs? I mean, other than I know you're in, you're um, involved in our lighter CEO groups, but where where are you finding out, you know, how to run a business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting about the digital age is that, you know, everything is, is on the internet nowadays. So that's super helpful. You know, when we first started, we, we, I guess we participated in the Y Combinator startup school. So that really helped us in terms of getting our, our foot uh, off the ground to learn, you know, how to build product at a high level. And then later on, of course, we went through Techstars and having the mentorship from you know, Jordan Fliegel, Andrew Hipper, and the, the, um, Elliot, the whole team at Techstars New York, that helped us, you know, <laughs> a lot in terms of just thinking about where to go next from a product and growth perspective. And then in terms of, you know, other learnings, one of our recent investors for, for Seed was Goldwater Capital. They have a really good community where they essentially have these like master classes for scaling startups. We found that to be super helpful as well, because we found that it's, it's always good to learn about certain topics from other founders, but it's, it's inefficient in some ways. <laughs> Because you have to talk to a lot of people to understand certain topics. Whereas, you know, when there's pre-recorded master classes or videos, it's pretty easy for us to just pick up a topic that or the challenges we're currently facing and kind of just learn from that specific master class. So we saw that was very helpful for us. Okay, great. That's helpful. Well, Alex, it was such a pleasure to speak with you today and hear about your entrepreneurial journey and also for Lighter Capital to be part of that journey in the the early stages of your growth. And we're excited to um, continue with you and as you continue to grow. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Melissa. And um, yeah, really appreciate all the support that Lighter Capital has given us so far. And we look continue to look forward to going alongside Lighter Capital. Thanks again to Alex Yi. To learn more about his business, you can visit nibble.com. That's N-Y-B-L-E.com. Ready to fuel your future on your terms? Subscribe to Bootstrap, The Lighter Side. You'll get ideas for growing your startup from other successful founders who grew their businesses without giving up equity or control. This podcast can be found on Apple and Google Podcasts or directly at lightercapital.com slash podcast. Until next time, keep your runways long and keep those lights on.